listening to audio from Community Bible Church. If you would like to find out more information about us, please visit us at cbcsavannah.com. If you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to the book of 1 Peter. If you don't have one, there should be one in front of you somewhere, or it'll be on the screen behind you. Um, 1 Peter's at the end of the Bible. You kind of flip to the back and kind of slowly come to your left, and you'll find this little book, First and Second Peter, uh, five little chapters. Uh, we started a new series last week on this book. We called it Exiles, because that is what Peter calls us. Uh, that an exile for him is someone who is living in a place that is not their home. And he's using the term metaphorically because maybe you're from Savannah, maybe his audience lives in their hometown, but because now they are following Jesus, their faith is in Christ, they no longer fit. They no longer, uh, it no longer works out for them like they think. And so they are, they're, they're citizens of a new kingdom. They are members of a new family. And because it, for them, there's all sorts of struggles and there's all sorts of issues in their lives because they are now exiles. And so are we. And so are we. And so what Jesus promised them is true of us. And we love to quote the promises of God, and we should, and we love to cling to them, and we should, but we always cling to the, to the positive ones, right? Forget that Jesus spoke candidly and truthfully when he says things like, if the world hates you, just know this, it hated me first. Thanks. That's encouraging this morning. Or how about this one? In this world, you will have trouble. Put a little P in a circle with a highlighter by that promise, Helen, don't you? Right? That, that, but that is the reality of the exile. Someone who is following Jesus and no longer, this is no longer your home. And so the, the kind of crust of the argument of our passage today is in verse six. It's kind of the key verse where, where Peter says this. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. And on and an, a cursory reading, you see these two main ideas. You see the idea of rejoicing and you see the idea of trials and you think that doesn't fit. Those are two very strange bedfellows. Those two concepts don't seem to work together. They seem to work together like a vegan at five guys, okay? Like a, a Georgia sports team in championships. They just don't go together. <laughs> Speaking the truth in love, brothers and sisters. But the reality is this, for the exile, for the follower of Jesus, the two go hand in hand. Rejoice, trial. And so what Peter's gonna do, because we're like, if you're like me, like how is that possible? Peter's like, let me tell you. That's what today he's going to explain to us, chapter one, verses three through 12. And I want us to be a church that has not bought into a false view of the gospel, a prosperity gospel, a, a, a maybe you say, well, I don't believe I'm going to be rich, but we've, we've got kind of little, little pieces of prosperity gospel where if I just obey, then everything will go well. If I just have enough faith, then things will go smooth. And brothers and sisters, that's not what Jesus promised. He didn't promise a happily ever after Disney princess existence on this planet. Now, yes, there is eventually the happily ever after, but not as an exile. And so Peter is going to say, hey, you can have joy and you can have trials. You can be grieved. And I think the church needs to hear that. It's okay for you to grieve. We, 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 we all, you should always just be happy. You know, no, he says you've been grieved. You can grieve. 
And we don't want to be cliche Christians. We smack a Romans 8.28. God works all things together for good. You'll be okay. We don't want to be the, God gives you lemons. You make lemonade. Okay, that's not helpful. Okay, what is helpful? Well, Peter's going to tell us. He's going to unpack that for us today in this chapter. Remember, he's writing to a group of believers in a very large area. This is the area he's writing. Modern-day Turkey, uh, Asia, Bithynia, Galatia, Cappadocia, Pontus, these scattered believers who have come to faith. And now everything is challenging, work and home and government, and there's conflict because of their faith because they are no longer fit. And ultimately, what you need to understand, the reason why there's challenges for them and for us often, you gotta get to, you know, unpeel the onion all the way. It's a spiritual battle, y'all. When you switch teams... When you're transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of his beloved son, all the enemies of God are now your enemies. So you are in their crosshairs. Understand, what's going on in Afghanistan at its core is a spiritual battle. It is demonic. It's not a misunderstanding of the Quran. It's not a cultural difference between this tribe and this tribe. What it is, is it's doctrines of demons. Paul says there's no such thing as an idol. There's no such thing as false gods. It's demons. It's demonic attacks on the people of God. You need to understand that. There's one true God, and then there's false gods, demons. And so they've entered into the fray. These people have entered into it. We are in it. And because we are in opposition to the kingdoms of darkness, the, the, the devil who prowls around like a rolling lion, there's challenges, there's opposition. Sometimes just because you live in a fallen world, sometimes because you are following Jesus. And these folks are facing it. And he is going to tell them how to have joy. He's reminded them, you're chosen, you're elect, you're secure. And he said, this is your assignment. You have one assignment, to obey Jesus Christ. And here's how you do it with joy. Right? And he's gonna start, not where I would start. If I know you're suffering, you come into my office and you're struggling and you're suffering and you got some opposition and, and, and I'm there to, to kind of give you counsel. What I'm, I'm probably gonna say is, man, I'm so sorry. <laughs> and you would expect people to be like, man, y'all, I didn't, you know, I didn't, he doesn't go, I didn't know this was going to happen. I preached a sermon. You became, I thought everything was going to be good. And this is a shock to me as much as it is to you. He doesn't go there. He starts with what? With worship. He says, blessed be the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise God. Hallelujah. Can I just tell you, this is not how I respond to trials often in my life. And I'm pretty sure you are like me. I mean, this Monday, and again, this is not a big trial. Maybe it's a trial for me as an American. I'm in carpool line, all right? Yes, the trials of Americans, right? I'm in the carpool line. It's the first day of school, and it's a train wreck, like you expect, right? Like you expect. And my response to that little inconvenience was not, praise God, I get to listen to Christian radio for a little longer. I I should spend this time praying and reading the Bible on my phone. My response was, all right, which parent doesn't know how to do car line? Don't talk to your kid. Get your kid in the car. Talk to him on the way home. Come on, people. You don't need to find out how kindergarten was. Pink is pink, yellow is still yellow. Get them going here, okay? That's my response, right? That's not Peter's response. He says, praise God. Why? For his great mercy, He's shown us great mercy. Here's why that's significant. Here's why he goes here. When you are facing opposition, struggle, just the trials of life, the the reason why we complain and get upset and it goes sideways for us is because we are thinking, this ain't fair. This is not just. I don't deserve this. This is not what I signed up for. That's what we're thinking. And so Peter says, 
You know what? Let's talk about justice for a minute. Praise God that he has not been just to us. Because mercy at its core is not getting what you deserve. And where he starts is, praise God, he has not given us what we deserve. Why? What do we deserve? Wrath, alienation, eternally separated from him. That's what we deserve. And he says, praise God for his amazing mercy. His amazing mercy. He has given you a living hope. He has made you new. He has made you a new creation. That's what born again is. John chapter three. He has chosen you before the foundation of the world. He has sanctified you by his spirit. He has sprinkled you with his blood. Praise God that he has done that. Because when you're in the, in the struggle, whether it's as little as carpool or as big as something super challenging, our, our hope there is, is typically just to get out. End this trial, end this suffering, end this circumstance, end this. That is our greatest hope. And what Peter is reminding us is that's not your greatest need. (laughs) That's not your greatest need. Your greatest need was that you were alienated from God. You were under his wrath. You were his enemy. And he has made you his children and his great mercy. He has made you new. Praise God for his mercy and his grace, which is is kind of the flip side of that coin, where he has given you what you do not deserve. That's where he goes. Right? And he did it, well, how? Through the atoning sacrifice of Jesus on the cross and the resurrection from Jesus from the dead. By the way, if anyone knows that Jesus was not really alive, who would it be? Peter. Because they accused him of stealing the body and they accused him of all sorts of things. And he is here 30 years later saying, he's alive. I know he is alive. I saw him. He is alive and he is a living hope. And then he describes what this living hope is. Verse four, he he brings us new, makes us new to a living hope, to an inheritance. And we know what that word means, right? We know what an inheritance is. You all seen a, you know a trust fund kid, right? Somebody who's got all this stuff, why? Because they were a nice kid? Because they worked real hard? No, they're from the right family. That's all they did. They're just from the right family. And someone is giving them all this stuff because they are part of that family. So here's the question for us. Who is, who is your father? Who's your dad? God. And what does your God own? Everything. The cattle on a thousand hill, check. The earth is the Lord and all that is in it, check. And your father is not some stingy dad. It's like, well, I'm only gonna give you 10% of my inheritance. He's giving it all. In fact, the Lord Jesus tells us in, in Luke 12, he says, fear not, little flock. It's your father's good pleasure. It brings him delight and joy to give you, you, the kingdom. That's what he does. That's your inheritance, And he describes it further. He says, it's your inheritance, it's imperishable, which means it doesn't break down. It's not some car from the 40s that your dad passes down to you. You're gonna have to replace the engine or replace the paint and replace the oil. No, no, it doesn't perish, right? It's unfading. Doesn't need a new this, a new that, a new this. It's undefiled. You never lose interest in it. It's not some house at Tybee that was left to you and we used to go every weekend and then we go once a year and then we never go because we've lost interest. No, no, you will never lose your just love for your inheritance. It'll never stop being shiny and new. It's unfading. 
and it's kept in heaven for you. It's a, it's a word, it's a military term. It's, it's kept, it's guarded. And it's actually in a tense in the original Greek where it's already done. It's completed, it's, it's safe. And it's for you. It's personal. It's got your name on it, William Thomas Fowler Jr. Safe, secure, protected by God, just like you are protected by the power of God. Who's gonna take your inheritance from God? Nobody. Just like no one's gonna take you from God, right? It's ready to be revealed when Jesus comes back, when he sets up the eternal kingdom. And here's, here's where he goes. Here's the conclusion, right? We read it earlier. In this you rejoice. You could translate it, you continually rejoice. Right now, present tense, you rejoice in something that is yours. And, and here's what Peter's doing, right? Here's how you have joy. First thing, in the middle of the junk of life, the trials of life, the struggles of life, the opposition for following Jesus, whatever it is, Peter says, here's how you have joy. You ready? You look forward to your prize. Look to your prize. Look to your living hope. Look which is safe and secure and undefiled that will not fade away. Look that at that which is your living hope. Do you know what the opposite of a living hope is? Let's see how smart you are. What's the opposite of a living hope? A dying hope or a dead hope, right? Good. Some of you, you know, literature majors in college. Great. Congratulations. It's a, a dead hope, a dying hope. I think the reason some of us lose our minds when things go sideways and we can't handle it, even if it's just carpool, is because so many of us are consumed and spend so much of our energy and our time and our life pursuing dead hopes. And so most of us, if we're honest, if we're really, really honest, you haven't thought of heaven in a long time. In fact, heaven's just like, yeah, that'll be great. But right now, this is great. Because, you know, we who live in this country, we have so much. We have tried to make heaven on earth. And you're, you're rich compared to the rest of the world. You're rich compared to the rest of, of, of humanity. You are rich. You're like, oh, I'm not rich. How many cars do you have? More than one? One? Rich. How much food's in your pantry? You're, you're worried about if your cabinets are up to date and your countertops are, are, are the newest kind. And then what about your outfit? You're rich. And we spend so much time trying to have heaven on earth that we lose our mind when something like our comfort or our, our, that we can't control, when something happens, we, we just, we can't handle it. We're like what C.S. Lewis so wisely said, famous quote, we are offered infinite joy and we're like ignorant children going on making our little mud pies in the slum, not imagining what a day, a holiday at the sea is even like. We are so easily pleased. And what Peter is doing, saying, hey, you have a living hope. So what's your dead hopes that you're putting all your eggs in that basket? Because it could be good things. Let me give you some examples of some dead, dying hopes, right? Here's a biggie, your career. All your significance, all your valley, value in those three little letters after your name or the, the door plate or the desk plate on your office and who you are and what you've done and what you've accomplished and how much money you've made and how much your investments are. Nothing wrong with a job. You should work hard. Nothing wrong with schooling. That's great. 
but it's a dying hope. Because you're going to turn 70, 75, and they're going to say, hey, here's a watch. We can hire somebody for a third of your salary that can do your job. Thank you very much. And they know how to use a computer. How you like that? Enjoy your retirement. Have a nice day. It's a dying hope. A spouse. Got to find a spouse. Uh, if I don't get married, I don't know what I'm going to do. If I don't have this, if my spouse is not like them, I don't know what I'm going to do. If I don't look like this, I don't know what I'm going to do. It's a dying hope. A, who, he who finds a spouse finds a good thing. Yes. But you know what? Eventually... One of you is, is going to be a widow. That's the reality. So if all your eggs are in that basket, it's a dying hope. Right? Kids, kids make horrendous idols. They just do. You think they're going to come and grow up and, and be like you and like what you like and think how you think and do what you do? If, you, if you're living for your kids' achievements, that they're a D1 this, or they went to this college, or they have this career, or they have this job, what are you going to do if they say, I'm joining the Peace Corps, baby? No Harvard for me. You're going to lose your mind? They're, they're horrible idols. You're, here's, a, here's a big one for us. Our bodies. Dying hope. I don't care if you CrossFit cult yourself to death. Skip the Chick-fil-A, you know, fried foods, whatever. It's, it's all downhill, baby. It's all downhill. You can try to slow it down. And I'm not saying we need to be healthy. We should take care of our bodies. Absolutely. I keep, I keep beating that drum and I will till the day that God takes me home. But it's a dying hope. See these? It's because I can't read nothing anymore. <laughs> nothing. Dying hope. It's dying hope. Uh, the approval of others. At some point, they're going to find the tweet that you did when you were in seventh grade, and you will be canceled. At some point, you're going to say something, do something. You're photoshopping your Instagram. Everyone's going to realize it because you have four legs, and you're like, oh, that person photoshopped that picture, and you will be canceled. If you live for the approval of others... It's a dying hope. And I can go on and on. And these are all fine things in themselves. But what he's saying is, y'all, your job is perishable. It's defiled. It fades away. Your car is perishable. It's defiled. It fades away. Your house is perishable. It's defiled. It fades away. Don't put your hope there. It's dying. And he's reminding them. And, and I just picture Peter. He, you know, remember, Peter is, is dictating this letter to a man named Silas or Sylvanius, as he's, he's mentioned. His name's Silas in, in kind of English. And I, just with, I, think, I picture him with a grin on his face. Y'all, look at the big picture. Look at this jacked up world and all its issues in light of what's yours. You know how the story ends. You know what he says. You know what's going to happen, right? You know the end of the story. I do something that some of you will find heretical. I'm gonna move this back, there you go. Uh, you know I'm a movie guy, so I love movies. And I will often, when there's a new movie coming out, especially if I know it's gonna be a suspenseful one, I'll do something, I know you're gonna, you're gonna despise me for this, I'll read the spoilers about the movie. I'll read the entire plot. In fact, I knew Iron Man was dead before I walked into that movie theater, I knew it. I knew that Thanos loses so how could you do that? Because I want to enjoy the movie, and if I don't know what's going to happen, I'm going to be stressed out the whole time. I'm going to be all worried about it, and then I won't enjoy it. So I read the end so that I can enjoy the movie. And it's biblical, <laughs> because God tells us how it ends. 
so I don't have to worry in this life if Thanos is really going to snap everybody away because I know he's not. I know the Death Star blows up, right? I know what happens. And in all seriousness, you want to have joy. What happens? Look to your prize. You know what happens. And that's the point, and that's where he points. This is, by the way, this is how Jesus has joy, right? Because for the joy set before him, he endures the cross, he despises the shame. Why? Because he looks to the finish. So how do we have joy? In the midst of the carpool of life, the waiting, the conflict, the struggles, the whatever, remember your prize. Remember it. But that's not all he says, right? Verse six again. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, you should underline that little word, little while. I hate that word. Do you know why? Because it doesn't feel like a little while, does it? Doesn't it feel like a lot of while? So Peter, how can you say it's a little while? Here's why. Because say you're given 60, 70, 80, 90 years in light of eternity, what is 80 years? Even if your entire life is 80 years on the run from the Taliban, what is 80 years? It's not even a dot on a page the size of this room. It's not even a dot on the page the size of this neighborhood. It's not even a dot on the page of the size of this world. It is nothing in light of eternity. You know what, you know what bad is? It's not that dot. Bad is an eternity apart from God. Bad is an eternity separated from the presence of God. That's bad, Right? Bad is not a little while, as hard as it is. And then he says something, it's my least favorite thing he says. He says, if necessary. And the idea in the Greek word is, it's necessary. It's par for the course of an exile. You must struggle. There will be trials. You cannot escape it. And my question is, why? Why is it necessary? Why? And that's what Peter tells us. And that's the second way we can have joy, by understanding the why, understanding the purpose of trials, the purpose of struggle. Verse seven, so that, key word, right? Indicates purpose. So that the tested genuineness of your faith you can stop right there. What is he saying? He said, number one purpose of trials and struggles and when life goes sideways is to prove your faith. It's to prove that it is what? Genuine. It's real. It's legit. That's what trials do because you have a choice when you're in the carpool of life. You can let your faith drive your circumstances or you can let your circumstances drive your faith. You can choose in that moment, am I going to continue on my assignment to obey Jesus Christ? when I'm getting this opposition, when I don't feel like it, when I'm tired, when I'm weary, when I'm sick, when no one is with me, am I going to do it or not? What's gonna, what's gonna happen there? You're gonna prove what you believe or you're gonna prove that you don't really believe it. It proves your faith. This is, this is the, the book of Job, right? Satan goes to heaven. God says, have you seen Job? He's like, everyone's seen Job. Job's a man. That's because you blessed him. Take everything away, Job will curse you. And so the whole question of the book is, will Job curse God? And he doesn't, even when he thinks he should, because it tests his faith. This is the end of Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, the good one, not the Johnny Depp one. When there's, there's Charlie, 
his grandpa, and he thinks he wins the chocolate, and Willy Wonka says, you lose. You drank the fizzy lifting drinks, and now we have to wash the ceiling and all that stuff. You lose. And Charlie's got that little everlasting gobstopper with that offer from old Slugworth. And what does he do? He puts that little everlasting gobstopper on the desk and says, Mr. Wonka, and he walks away. And then, oh, Willie, you've won, you've won. Why? Because it was a test. What are you gonna do? He wants to see, is this kid really what I think he is? Is he real? Can I entrust my inheritance to him, my chocolate factory, the Oompa Loompas? Can I entrust them to you, Charlie? Who are you? And the test proves his genuineness. That is the point. That's the point of a trial, right? That's the book of James. And so if every time you face a trial, things go sideways, there's a struggle. If you just get angry, angry at God, angry at everyone else, why do you let this happen? Or you just blame this person. I'm angry because of you. It's your fault. It's my mom's fault. It's my brother's fault. It's my boss's fault. It's this. You're always blaming others or envying others. I wish I had their this. I wish I had their house. I wish I had their job. I wish I had their spouse. I wish, I wish, I wish. What does it reveal about your faith? It's only as good as your circumstances. And so what we need to start seeing is the trials of life as a positive thing. And then that's hard. That's, that's an exile. This is an opportunity for me to prove my faith. That's the first thing. That's the first reason. And the second one is to refine your faith, to prove your faith and to refine your faith, to make it pure. It says the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire. And it's this image of, of gold which is being purified where you add the heat and when it gets hot enough, that dross and those impurities come to the surface and the sculptor will take and scoop that stuff out so that that gold is now pure and now he can mold it into something precious and valuable. And what Peter's saying, that's trials, that's God, that's you that God will allow the, the Bunsen burner of life, there you go, chemistry teachers, that Bunsen burner of life to heat you up, to bring all those impurities, to start revealing, you're impatient, Mr. Bill, in the carpool line. Now it's to the surface, what are you gonna do? You say you believe this, but you really do this. It reveals false motives, it reveals false hopes, and what God wants to do is he wants to skim that off to make you something that's valuable. Look, it's, it's more precious than gold, even pure gold. Because why? Because that's perishable. That will burn up. He says, but your faith, when it's refined, it's gonna be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. When Jesus returns, he's, there's gonna be glory because you believe, not because you have gold, but because you believe. He's gonna stand there and say, well done, my good and faithful servant. This is John. John trusted me. John believed me when no one else did. This is what John did because he had faith in me. And it is more valuable than any trap that's going to burn in a dump someday. And that's what God is trying to do right, in us. And we can short circuit it, can't we? Because when the heat comes, we can just let all that stuff sit there and we can just let it stay. And he said, no, I want to, I want to take it out. And God loves us so much that he will allow things to happen. You say, why? Because your faith is more valuable to him than your comfort. Let me say that again. Your faith is more valuable to him than your comfort. You'll have all eternity to be comfortable. Your faith, that is valuable. So don't short circuit that, pro that process. 
Don't be blaming and, and miss the opportunity to rejoice. Start seeing it as an opportunity to prove your faith and to be refined in your faith. That is where value is. We've got to start seeing it that way because this is what he says in verse eight. Though you have not seen him, you love him. This is our reality, right? I, I haven't seen him. Peter had, but these people apparently haven't. I haven't seen him. He said, you haven't seen him, but you love him. And though you do not see him, you what? You believe. You have faith in him. And you do what? You rejoice with joy that is inexpressed and filled with glory. It's not just, oh, I'm, ha- I'm happy. No, your, your joy is inexpressible. Why? Because of your faith. Obtaining is the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And so the, the, the process from, from suffering to joy is you suffer and maybe God has taken something that you were putting all your hopes in, your false dying hope, and he kind of knocks the legs out of it. A job, a relationship, your health. And you're like, God, Why? He's saying, because you've been putting so much in that, and I want you to see me. And we frustrated and angry, but when we finally, when we finally realize, no, 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 I've been so independent of God. How many of us are really better off when things are smooth? How many of our, our faith is getting stronger when everything is easy? No, how many of you getting in shape by not running? None. I mean, I've seen the commercials for those like ab things where you put those stickers on your abs and it's like, yeah, I can get abs by doing nothing. That can't work. That doesn't work. You got to do crunches. You got to sweat. And maybe it works and I'm wrong, but it does, I ain't going to do it anyway because it feels dumb. I need to do crunches. I need to do something to make me stronger. You don't just sit there and it happens. You don't just get more dependent by just being independent. And so God will remove sometimes that thing that, that so that you will be dependent. And so you go from uh, dependence on something else to dependence on him. And then there's intimacy with him. And when there's intimacy with him, there's joy in him and there's love for him. And that's what he is wanting to do. That is his purpose, even though it's hard for a little while. For a little while. So that's the point. That is what he is doing. That is the purpose to refine your faith and to give you an opportunity to prove your faith. So how do we have joy? We look for the prize, our future prize. We understand the purpose. And there's one more thing. We recognize our privilege. And this is what Gardner read earlier. Let me read it to us again. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours, they searched and inquired carefully. They, 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 they dug deep They inquired what person or time the spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. So you have all these prophets of the Old Testament that are highlighting what Messiah would do and who he was and where he would be and all these things, right? But they only got this like little piece. Oftentimes they didn't even know what it meant. They just, God was revealing this and so they put it down. And so it says they they dug deep, they went all CSI, on it, tried to figure out who, what, where, why, what's this gonna look like? They wanted more, they wanted more, they wanted more, but they only got little snippets, little, little pieces of the whole picture, right? So Micah, all he gets is Messiah and Bethlehem, go. Jeremiah gets, there's gonna be a new covenant where I write my law on their heart, go. Isaiah gets a few more, he's got a few more messianic uh, prophecies, but he's got a virgin shall conceive and, and the government will rest on his shoulder and he's gonna be a suffering servant and he's gonna be the stone that's rejected, go. Zechariah gets, he's gonna come riding in on a donkey. Well, that's vague. Moses gets, the seed of a woman uh, will crush the head of the serpent and he's gonna come from Judah and a few other pieces. Hosea gets, out of Egypt, they will call my son. Well, what does that mean? 
Malachi gets it. There's going to be a forerunner. He's going to be like Elijah. David gets it. He's going to be forsaken. He's going to be pierced. He's going to be all these things. They just get all these little pieces. Daniel gets that the son of man will come. He's going to be from the ancient of days. They get all these little snippets. They don't get the whole piece. And they actually wanted the whole piece. They sought out the whole piece. But it was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but us. In the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the gospel, the good news to you by the Holy Spirit, they was revealed somehow whether they asked God, this is not for you to know. You just need to know Bethlehem. You just need to know Pierce for our transgressions. You just need to know riding on a donkey. But for us, what's Peter's point? You get more than any prophet could have fathomed. You know more than Moses. You know more than David. You know more than Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi. You know more than all of them. That's how privileged you are. You know the entire story. But not just them. I love that little phrase at the end of the, of the verse. It's things even which what? Angels long to look. The word long to look is a word that's used of Peter when he is looking into the tomb, the empty tomb, and he's diligently seeking. Is he, is he here? Is his body here? Where, he's not hiding. Is it, where, where is it? So James used it, he said, when you look intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, it's something that, it's not just a casual glance, it's looking intently, it's seeking, it's longing. And, and what Peter is saying is, do you realize that the angels of God, who by the way are here right now, there's angels in this room right now, watching us, observing us, defending us, serving us, that they long to know what you know. And, and remember what they do know. They have seen God. <laughs> they have been in the throne room of God. They have seen uh, the creation of the universe. They have seen the crucifixion and the resurrection. They see from God's perspective, and it says they are blown away. They marvel at what you get. You know why? Because an angel has, it never says, for God so loved the angels that he gave his only son. It doesn't say that they can experience redemption. The angels of God do not have the spirit of God living within them. It never says, I'm going to give the angels the kingdom. But for us, these are all the things that God has promised. And it makes the angels, they, they long to be a piece of that and see that fully. Right? Wayne Grudem says it like this. We are recipients of God's greatest blessings and we are honored participants in the greatest drama at the focal point of all human history. What a privilege for us. And so when you're in the middle of struggling and suffering, what's the point? Yes, and that's real and that stinks. But what a privilege to be chosen by God, to be set apart by the Holy Spirit, to be sprinkled with his blood. What a privilege to know that the kingdom is yours. What a privilege to know that this is as bad as it's gonna get. And then for all eternity, you are gonna enjoy the, the, the fruit of your master and his inheritance. So how do we have joy in the midst of all this? How do we not, is Peter's point. How do we not? We look forward to the prize, the inheritance, the living hope. We remember the purpose, even though it's hard, that he's refining us, he's purifying us, and he's giving us opportunity to prove our faith. And the privilege is real. We have more than the, the prophets of old, more than John the Baptist, more than the angels. We are God's chosen children 
He has lavished us with his love and his mercy. And there's nothing that can separate us on heaven and earth or under the earth from his love. And I don't know uh, what your trials are right now. Maybe you're at smooth sailing. Maybe you're in the middle of it. Conflict at work, conflict in family, physical. Maybe you've been, you know, isolated because of your faith and you've been, uh, you know, you've been trying to follow Christ and you, you lost friends. I, I don't know what it is. I know it's real. I, I know because none of us are immune to it. And we, I know we put a happy face on Instagram and everything, and, but I know also the reality of life. Struggle, disappointment. What do you do with it? I mean, if you ask yourself, what is my, this, this struggle, you know what that number one thing is right now in your life. How, how is, what is it revealing about your faith? That's, that's what we want to kind of deep dive on. And we just want, you know, we're going we're gonna to celebrate the table in a minute and we want to give you some time to reflect and think. And here, here's what I want to encourage. If that, that heat is on and those things are coming to the top, let your loving God scoop it out. Let him skim off the dross and make you something uh, that is moldable and give you something that is more valuable than gold. And that's hard, I know. I'm not saying as one is like, I did this, so it's your turn. No, no, I'm in the middle of it just like everyone else. That's life. And God is making us and he will complete what he began in us. And so we're gonna remember the table this morning. A great opportunity for us to think of, I mean, talk about trials and struggle. The Messiah, the the king of the world was killed, was crushed for our iniquities. There's your great mercy. And if you are a follower of Jesus this morning, we invite you to participate with us whether you're a member of this church or not, if you've put your faith in Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, that he died, was buried, and rose again for you, we invite you to participate. If, if that's not you and you're, you have questions, we just ask you to abstain. No biggie. Just, just let the basket go by. And if you have questions about that, we'd like to talk to you. But this is a, a, uh, something that reminds those who are in Christ of what he has done. And so we're gonna uh, have a bunch of folks hand out uh, the elements and give you some time to think just pray to ask God, God, I want to be what you want me to be, to, to repent of known sin, to just meet with God right now. And then I will lead us in just a few moments uh, to partake together as a church. So go ahead and use this time for that.